forever. Dog. Hey, everyone. You're listening to the Writer's Panel Podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. On this podcast, we talk about the business and process of writing mostly television with mostly television writers. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator and host of this show. I myself am a television writer and a writer of other things. You may have seen my name on Supernatural, on Puss in Boots, as well as some other series. Most recently, you can find the Audible original series Cut and Run, which my writing partner and I have written. It's about the relationship woes of best friends who happen to be kidney thieves. It's available at audible.com slash cut and run. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. That's always very helpful for us. Also, please follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so. And let me know who else you would like to see on this show. What are you watching on television? What's getting you excited or inspired? And we'll try to get those creators or at least someone from the show to talk about TV because that's what we love to talk about. Here's the theme song. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Dan Levy's here. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. here. I could tell. Yeah. Um... Thank you for being here. Dan, you are the uh, creator, the co-creator of yeah. Schitt's Creek. Yes. Which is starting its second season. Yeah. Um, let's get into it. Let's do it. This is a weird show. It's a weird show. <laughs> it's a little this, weird show. Um, it's the little weird show that could. It's funny. I mean, it's funny that you would call it a little show because it, there's an intimacy to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels like... In the best way, a bunch of people saying, hey, let's put on a show. Yeah. Does it have that feel behind the scenes? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, we shoot it for three months out of the year um, from April to June, and it's like summer camp. There's like the same team of people. We do it every year. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's a very intimate show. It's a very collaborative show. Um, and we just have a lot of fun. Ultimately, you just want to laugh, right? That's the, That's the whole... Sure, that's I, the whole point. That's hopefully, why we're doing this exactly. Stuff, but I think people forget that. And, yeah, I no. Mean, you've also, I think, you've been lucky enough to design a show where you've gotten to do that. Yeah, I mean, you, it feels like you're making the show you want to make. Is Absolutely. That right? I think there's. I mean, if if there's anything that I take from the whole experience, it's it's the the rarity of the freedom that we have mm-hmm. to make the television show that is exactly what we want it to be. What, where does that freedom come from? It comes from um, the right network, I guess. Mm-hmm. Liking the show for what it was, not really having a hidden agenda in terms of, you know, wanting it to fulfill a certain quota and, and eventually sort of t- turning it into something else so that it can be, you know, right. on, on brand with whatever the particular network was. This was um, the CBC up in Canada and, and uh, Pop Network uh, here in the States both just dug the show and have allowed us to to make it. Um, and, you know, I, I have friends that are writing on other shows and you, you hear horror stories of just, you know, a pilot that was so great and funny finally making it to TV. And it's just, you know, the poor writer sitting at home, banging his head against a wall saying, this is not what this, this is not what I had thought this was going to be. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, we're, we're very grateful for that kind of freedom and, and there's almost like a, a closure, um, in knowing that you've done all you can. I think mm-hmm. the first season 
when we were finding out whether we were going to get picked up, you know, there was this sense of closure that we had because we thought, you know, if people didn't like it, if it wasn't, if it didn't work, if it didn't get picked up, at least we knew that we did exactly what we wanted mm-hmm. and it didn't work as opposed to trying something, sure. having it change yeah. and say, if only we had kept it, That's you know, great. how we wanted it. That's so, really yeah. great. Um, yeah. Tell me about the beginnings of this show. Um, is the reason that you were able to get these networks on board with such a clear idea is because it, there was a clear idea from the beginning? Like, what did you bring to them initially? Yeah, so um, <laughs> we worked in the very early stages with anonymous content, um, which is where I was at the time and where my dad still is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of brought them the idea, and together we created a 12-minute presentation pilot. Oh, okay. Um, and that's what sold the show up in Canada and subsequently uh, to, to pop here in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did that presentation look like? <laughs> Very different from what the show was, was actually. And yet, in certain elements, I think comedically, it was very consistent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people connected to. I think, ultimately, um, when I brought the show to my dad in the first place, it was because I felt like it could have benefited from his sort of touch comedically. Mm-hmm. What and that, that and I apologize. I'm going to interrupt. No, yeah, yeah, no, no. I, th- kinda go I think that things. there is my my dad has such a unique approach to comedy. Something that I have uh, sort of, hopefully through osmosis, sort of educated myself on over my life. Um, I think it's it's rooted in something real, and it's rooted in something that is teeming with heart. I think his whole the priority of what he, he does uh, as an actor and as a writer is is to make sure that every character, every script has heart in it. And I think if you were to look back through sort of his catalog of <laughs> insane, uh, you know, characters that he's created, they all have a heartbeat. They sure. all are well-intentioned. Um, and I think that's such a fresh. It's it continues to be to be so fresh mm-hmm. to me in terms of what comedy sh- should be, um, and and that I think is what was the consistent in terms of the presentation versus you know once we mm-hmm. started making the show that sensibility remained the same. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's interesting to hear you say that because these are characters that could very easily just be cartoons. And yeah, it was interesting to me to see that there is a lot of heart. To yeah, this. and second season, I think we delve even deeper in terms of the interrelationships. The first season, you know, you you play with circumstance and um, and dealing with the characters in this new world. And the second season, knowing that they're going to be there for such a you know prolonged period of time, now they get to settle. That's great. And you get to play with the interrelationships in ways that you didn't get to play with in the first mm-hmm. season. And I really feel like it's a it just gets a little bit more dimensional um, in the best way possible, comedically and emotionally. So that was really fun to play with. And um, But yeah, I mean, I think if you look even at the Christopher Guest movies, um, in, the, in different hands, mm-hmm. all of those movies could be cartoonish. Absolutely. And it's that, it's, that, it's that specific sensibility that grounds each and every one of those characters, as ridiculous as they are, in something real, and that's, I think, what has made that style of comedy so, you know, 
loved, I guess, yeah. by people. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's go back uh, to, so you, you guys made this presentation. Yeah. Um, and we can cut this out, but I'm curious. Did, <laughs> did Anonymous pay for the presentation? Yes, it was okay. produced uh, by Anonymous, okay. yeah. Because I'm fin- finding that's a more and more frequent thing of, like, let's prove our show. Yeah, and, and Anonymous, you know, is sort of the king of, you know, creating content mm-hmm. in-house. Um, that's true. And has done really well with it. Um, so it was a really nice fit for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Catherine was, was in the presentation, and Chris Elliott, and um, Chris's daughter Abby was in it. And uh, we had a really good, we had a really good week shooting that. It was really <laughs> sure. fun. What did you bring to Anonymous? Like, how did the conversation start? Where, where did the uh, idea even, even I come from for you? I had come up with sort of the the seedling of this idea and it was something that I was working on. Um, I had come from MTV where I was a VJ for a very long time um, and knew that I uh, wanted to get into scripted TV Mm -hmm. and and get back into acting and I was playing with this idea and uh, my manager at the time thought there was something there. And we kept developing it. And, you know, I eventually asked my dad very casually if he'd sit down and sort of listen to the idea and see if he thought there was something there. And through that conversation, we started talking and um, and it appeared very early on that there was something worth exploring and there was something that engaged him, which to me was like a huge surprise because he's incredibly picky and, uh, you know, is very specific in terms of what he finds interesting comedically and what he wants to invest his time and energy in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, also there's the whole element of like sp- spending time with your son working on something sure you but it became very clear beyond that that you know you know him the time we were spending on this was above and beyond you know him helping me as a as a writer mm-hmm. um and i also think like anything when when the idea is there it becomes it just unfolds itself in a way um and we had a lot of fun sort of fleshing out what the story would be. And um, ultimately, I wanted to explore the concept of, you know, a wealthy family losing their money, playing on the idea now of having such a cultural awareness of how rich people live and playing on that in a way that, you know, would keep that fly on the wall approach, the reality style approach almost. But on this family now, sort of with nothing, realizing was money the bandage that kept it all together, or is there something else here? Hmm. Um, and yeah, it was it was in researching how wealthy people lost their money that we came across a story um, about Kim Basinger, who had at one point bought a town in Georgia. Yes, that's right. And I I don't think it worked out (laughs) in her favor. And something about the idea of buying a town was so absurdly (laughs) unnecessary. But fit with this family that we were building Mm -hmm. in a way that was like, you know, we started thinking, well, what if it was bought for the son as a gift? Because the joke was the town's called Schitt's Creek. How funny. And then when they lose their money, it's the only thing they're allowed to keep. Right. You know, Um, and that was when everything sort of clicked into place. And that's when we really sort of knew that 
there was something there. Oh, that's funny. It's interesting to me that the the germ of the idea was about the family losing money, not necessarily about coming the town. to in this town. Yeah, which is just no. We played with like it's like the a, world of the show. Exactly. We played with a variety of different um, ways in. Yeah. What I were guess. some of those wrong roads? I'm always curious about that. <sighs> At one point, we had talked about you know they they move into like you know uh just a shitty apartment in Brooklyn um but somehow that the sort of grand canyon if you will between where they were and where they end up wasn't big enough yeah and that makes sense. and we thought well where else can we take it where else can we take it and you know it really was one of those amazing you know Instances of, of stumbling across a story and saying, well, that's hmm. what we're looking for. That's sort of the puzzle piece that, that will make all this work. And how formed for you were the characters, the, at least the family? We spent, I, sent, I think in, in the beginning, we spent the, the most time fleshing out the characters. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I learned from my dad is, like, paramount. Mm-hmm. Um, we would go through like just days on one character talking about sure. where they came from, wh- what schools they went to, what, you know, at one point, Catherine, her backstory was, you know, involved winning a Miss Snowcone pageant in her small town where she grew up. And <laughs> all of those things ultimately inform your season yeah. um, down the line. So it was incredibly valuable. But I think, you know, it was my instinct was to say, okay, we're done here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to sort of be with my dad and, and have him say, no, we're not. We need to keep, hmm. keep going. But yeah, what do you, th- what were, what did you think was enough? Were you not looking past the pilot or, was he? I mean, what, like, I think it was ultimately setting a, up a premise mm-hmm. for us and trying to figure out what that premise would be. And then once we sort of got the characters in place, it was figuring out the town, figuring out how we got to the town, figuring out how quickly we got to the town. And once we sort of fleshed all that out, the pilot episodes sort of came quite easily mm-hmm. um, because we were exploring more about the the premise of the show. Than the specifics. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think it's like you know, I, I catch myself now because there's you know other things that I'm I'm working on in addition to the show, and you realize whenever there's something sticky in terms of the evolution of the idea, you realize it's because one of those situations mm. isn't there. Yeah, either the characters aren't developed enough, or the premise isn't strong enough, or so it's. I mean, as a as a as a great sort of. Uh, it was a it was a master class for me to sort of sit back and and I bet. learn. Well, what was your writing experience prior to Schitt's Creek? Uh, it, there wasn't much, mm-hmm. um, which is well, why this. I'm going to be thrilled to hear that. No, <laughs> I really feel like, um, you know, at the end of the day, there's an interesting thing because I think a lot of the time I, I through my eight years at MTV, never included my dad in anything mm-hmm. um, because. Of the, uh, I think the sort of snap judgment that I think can be placed, particularly in entertainment, uh, on children of people who have made a name for themselves in in that world. Um, 
and nepotism is something that I, I mean, for me, I have a hard time with it because I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. And, um, the, the idea of that kind of sort of blind judgment on someone when in actuality, there are kids that go into their parents' law firms. There's Absolutely. children that go into like medical practices. It happens all the time and it makes sense. I think for me, um, I, 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 I knew that I wanted to write. I wrote for fun in the time that I was on MTV. I wrote all of our stuff for MTV, all of our sketches, all of our, you know, our content. I hadn't had the outlet to do scripted TV before. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, as and the that, first... That, to you, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. To you, that's a very different thing, it sounds like. Or at least it was then. Yeah, I think, I mean, my last sort of uh, piece of content that I, I produced at MTV was a was a Christmas variety special mm-hmm. that I did for myself. And we did music videos and sketches and man-on-the-street stuff. And um, so I was actually creating scripted content, but in a very different way and in a way that a lot of networks and studios out here would look at and say, okay, but what's, what else? Um, so I think choosing to work with my dad was a hard choice for me because I didn't want people to look and say, you know, he got the job because of this. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be a smart choice. And that's why I eventually, sort of got over the ego element of it and said, I think this person might happen to be my dad, (laughs) but I had access to this person. I thought he could be such a tremendous addition to this team. Mm -hmm. And it was the best decision I could have made because not only did I learn so much from him, but I felt like together as a unit, I was able to cover things that he wouldn't have access to mm-hmm. in terms of writing for the younger characters on the show. And he had a, was more in tune with the, the older characters. And and it just fit. Um, but I'm not going to lie and say that his involvement didn't help us because sure. it absolutely did. I just think that you have to be ready for when that opportunity comes your way. Absolutely. And I think that's where the idea of nepotism is really where it shows itself because nobody in this industry will continue to work if you're not holding your own. Oh, for sure. And I think that, you know, there's a point to, uh, as you said, he wasn't, you didn't just work with your father to push this through, you know, you, you really gained created something creatively from it. Yeah. And I think ultimately we didn't even intend it to be, what it is now. I mean, we just got our pickup for their third season. So yes, that's right. It has, it seems to have legs, (laughs) you know, you, you go into something just hoping that like you, you like the idea when you wake up the next day. Absolutely. Um, not thinking as far down the line as, as we've, we've gotten this, but you know, I think for me, it was, it was an experience in proving myself and in stepping up to the plate and hopefully, showing that I could handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was in the room the first season and hasn't been in the room since. I was curious. Um, about yeah, he came to sort of consult. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a lovely gentleman that just is so, um, <laughs> isn't, isn't his, his mind doesn't work at the pace of a writer's room. <laughs> he likes to sit down and read 
notes from the day. That's funny. He wants to make informed decisions based on, you know, a a printed out piece of paper. The room is very fast paced. There's a lot of people talking. And uh, and I think for the second season, he was like, yeah, I think you've got this. (laughs) I'm going to read these notes from home. Um, and you know, and yeah, it's been, it's been um, great. So how did the show start to work? So once, once you guys got picked up, yeah. um, did, were you put with a more experienced showrunner? How did this all happen? I, uh, our head writer, um, helped me in terms of being sort of a partner in the, in the, sh- in the preliminary stages of the show running experience. Okay. That and just a ton of podcasts. Really? Yeah, I must have spent like a solid three months just listening to what writers' listening podcasts to? and um, listening to writers who had been put in a situation where they were running a room without necessarily having gone through the building blocks of what I think a lot of writers go through in order to get to the show running experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which and, is more and more common. Which is totally common. And and more and more terrifying for people. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so to have had the privilege to run a room without the, the experience that I think a lot of people have had was terrifying, but also something that I knew I didn't want to fuck up. Can mm-hmm. I just say that? Listen, ship Um, sailed now. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, like, I listened to a lot of Lena Dunham's podcasts because I felt like she had been put in a situation where she had a ton of responsibility as a showrunner um, at a very young age. um, And listening to her was like, you know, helped me a lot in terms of just how you handle a room how you go about getting the show started and, and the combination of that kind of education, which is now at our fingertips, which I think is so incredible. The idea of, of podcasts and talking about the experience of doing what you're doing is, is, you know, I think has allowed for people to circumvent certain, you know, I guess norms and, and approach, you know, the the institutional knowledge is out there. Yeah, and all of a sudden it's accessible. And it helped. It really helped. That's great because I did feel confident and informed mm-hmm. walking into that room. So, well, yeah, what were some of the things you picked up from listening to these people who had done it? I think it was, you know, ultimately it was patience, um, understanding that other people's ideas are valid and important, mm-hmm. and while they may not be what you had in your mind as something that is in line with the brand of the show from those ideas can come other ideas. So, you know, and, and I also called a bunch of friends of mine who had worked on sort of large shows. Some were very wonderful to work on. Some were (laughs) like terrifying. Sure. Uh, those stories are hysterical. Um, mainly because I wasn't a part of them. <laughs> right. um, <clears throat> but I think the collective understanding of what not to do, how not to motivate your team, mm-hmm. and what to do, sort of, I found my place in it. That's great. And since I've, you know, I, I sat down with Julie Pleck, um, who's doing amazing things with, yeah. you know, Vampire Diaries and um, the originals, and, and she, we, we sat down for two hours um, and I basically just picked her brain in terms of th- approaches that she's taken that have worked, things that didn't work, 
um, how to get content quickly and effectively. Um, because when you're in a room with a large group of people, it's very easy to suddenly have, you know, next thing you know, you're talking about, you know, Kylie Jenner right, and wondering wow, how, how we got to this point. Cause we really needed to figure out how this, you know, the finale of our second season ended. Yeah. Um, and, and it really is a, it's sort of a dance and it's, it's, it's something that I think as much as I could have prepared myself, it really is something that is, is a reactive experience, mm-hmm. I think. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so much of it comes down to reading that room. Yeah. Which I think is... And having the right people in For the room. sure. Yeah, tell me about putting together that room. Uh, like our... I think our, our approach to the whole show is that you can't... There can't be any ego. And that is how we work the, the writer's room. It's how our production team works. It's why we have such a wonderful experience making this show, because everyone's been hired with the understanding that it's collaborative. Mm-hmm. You can't be upset if your ideas don't work, because they will down the line. Um, everyone will get their say. It's just you have to be open-minded to the, to the better, to the end goal. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to the room, I think that was really important for me is just getting a team of people that, A, I like and I want to spend time with, but who also are sort of in line in terms of sensibility, obviously, in terms of their their humor. And, mm-hmm. um, and the show is not a sitcom, so it's slightly – we ride that line of comedy and drama a little bit. Um, so finding writers that can – do that mm-hmm. is tricky. Yeah. Um, you don't want traditional joke writing. No, in the same way that we've hired drama <laughs> directors to direct our yeah. show, because we didn't want a comedy director coming in and trying to you know, right. imposing impose comedy. comedy. We, I, we got the comedy covered, Catherine and my dad and Chris, as yeah. like, you know, the, the sort of leaders of the of the gang have set a really lovely tone for that for that and we go to them for questions our directors really present hmm. that material and oh, that's, that's why we went to to drama guys yeah i didn't realize that. um and this year in the room uh you know i i look to a lot of essayists actually um because to me, you know, I know that we can get scripts written um, and that you, they always sort of go through the like myself and then they go through my dad and they go through the filter of, of getting them all sort of sounding and looking and feeling the same. Mm-hmm. The important thing for me in this show is storytelling and making sure that all the characters' stories are being serviced in really substantial, funny, great, fresh ways. Mm. And I felt like essayists like young great essayists have that observational chip they're able to look at people and things in their own life and extract stories in ways that a lot of people aren't capable of doing Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense absolutely yeah Uh, so who did you find and where did you find we hired a great girl uh uh, her name is Monica Heisey, and she had written a lovely book uh, called I Can't Believe It's Not Better. Um, and I read it and thought, she's very funny. I don't know what she's like as a television writer, but I know that her voice is strong and self-assured, and she 
has the ability to find humor in things that a lot of people <laughs> would probably find like sad or <laughs> concerning. Um, and I met with her. Uh, we no, we hired her cold. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah. It was like it. This season was like a really interesting thing because you're trying to keep the room that you had. But at the same time, it will always be a revolving door. Mm -hmm. But you want to keep the same vibe. You want to keep the same sensibility. You want to keep the same dynamic between people. And um, and it was down to the wire. And we weren't reading anybody that we liked. And um, and I read her book. And she's a very close friend of a friend of mine who was also going to be working on the show. And I said, well, fuck it. Let's just do a trial run and see what oh, happens. Great. And she was such a welcome addition to the show. So, you know, it it was interesting to take a, a slightly different approach to, to sure. hiring writers. And having that having that voice in the room, I think, is important. You know, someone who has yeah. never done it or someone yeah. who has a different perspective. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. So she was able to learn at the same time as, you know, as contribute. Yeah. Which, which in a way is great because... Mm -hmm. If we get a fourth, she'll most likely be coming back. Yeah. And this time she's has a script under her belt. And, you know, it's been a lovely sort of experience with her oh, that's really uh, cool. as an example of just, you know, mm -hmm. someone that, that you hire that is not the conventional hire. That's really cool. Um, what have been, especially in the first year, what were some of the other surprises for you? I mean, it was all new. Yeah. But you did, you know, you've been in the industry both growing up in it sure. with your dad and then working in it on MTV for so many yeah. years. Um, and you you prepared yourself as uh -huh. much as you could. But what what surprised you either in the room or during production? I think it's... And again, you know, we've been very lucky in terms of the level of input that we have on the show. Um, I would say one of the it wasn't so much a surprise as it was something that I was I realized I was spending a lot of time thinking about. And that was the promotion hmm. of the show and uh, and making sure that the promotion of the show represented the sensibility of the show in a way that was, um, you know, smart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us, a lot of that was, you know, even in the, in talking about it outwardly to, to press or to, you know, within our own production, it's like, we, this will never be referred to as a sitcom. It's not a sitcom. It's a half hour, single cam comedy. Um, and, making sure that that was what was being projected was something that I found to be very important. Interesting. Because I think from an outside um, sense, there are other ideas of how the show should look. And a lot of times those ideas got quite broad mm -hmm. and, you know, <laughs> it's not the show that's going to have like two characters, like back to back winking at the camera. <laughs> Not that that's ever, you know, it never got to that point. Right. But, I, you know, you realize that your your job sort of never, in, in my case, the job never ended. It just mm -hmm. continued into a bunch of different areas. Interesting. Um, and we were lucky enough to have the, the ears of, of the networks in terms of them saying, okay, we get what you're trying to do here and we'll work with 
that as that's, opposed that's to great. trying to position the show in a way that was against what we wanted, but perhaps, you know, right. A way that reached they a broader audience yeah. or I don't know anything about, you yeah. know, <laughs> marketing goals, but, um, that was something that I, that I, 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 and I continue to this day to, to focus on. What, what to you is the difference between a sitcom and Schitt's Creek? I think, well, there's like, I, I think it's a sensibility, ultimately. I think sitcoms are very sort of widely accessible. I think the humor is slightly broader. Um, I think what, what we're playing with in the world of, of Schitt's Creek is a little bit darker. It's a little bit more offbeat. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with sitcom and the sitcom format. I think it's just we didn't want to misrepresent the show. Because mm-hmm. when people think sitcom, you think, you know, a certain cadence in the way that people speak or deliver jokes and um, mm-hmm. a certain heightened sense of, of comedy, which wasn't really what we were what we were doing. Sure. But isn't that also kind of an antiquated concept? I mean, there aren't a lot sure. of those around anymore. Yeah. I mean, yeah, prob- probably. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like redefining what the sitcom for, is. for sure. As I think all half hours are kind of yeah. doing that. I think we have to do now. Well, it's a, uh, I, it's 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 an incredible time for TV. Sure. It's an incredible time to be working in television and um and it everything's sort of shifting. And that I think is ultimately where you know, the terms like sitcom now, it's like right. What is it even mean i guess yeah yeah i mean that's that's a good point is we're outside getting, of like two and a half men right yeah they're the, the sort of the last vestiges yeah. of the old style and that's even the multi-cam style yeah. but you know for these single camera shows they're much closer to the auteurs absolutely right, that dramas yeah. get to have yeah and i think i think we're getting to that which is really exciting it is comedy. really exciting um what was the comedy that you grew up with? What was the stuff that you were into? Or even the not comedy? What was the stuff that sort of inspired you to want to make things? Uh, I, ooh, I, would, I had always sort of written things for myself, like very from a very young age to high school. I wrote all our school plays and mm-hmm. staged them and have always been into the into the full package of creating something and presenting it. Uh-huh. Um, and I think there was a chunk of time in high school and into into college where I wasn't very self-assured and let that get the best of what I was able to do. So I, instead of going into theater, which is what I wanted to do, I went into film because you're behind the camera. You don't have to audition. <laughs> To get in. Sure. Um, and I sort of thought, well, if I go into film, then hopefully I'll be able to create content f- for myself and I'll be able to showcase the, the acting inclinations in mm. my own films. That was not, <laughs> wasn't the case. <laughs> film school is a very different beast. Um, and ultimately realized that it wasn't for me... And I ended up getting my job uh, on MTV in my last year of school, and just oh, really? and just saying, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll see you soon. Um, was there stuff? Was it because you grew up in a sort of show business yeah, household? Oh. Was 
was there ever any question? Like, is this just a another job opportunity? I mean, is this like no? This I, is a realistic job, the same way you know a baker is. No, I think I am like every day I've been working on this show has been a day where I am continually overwhelmed with you know the surreal sense of a it's gotten made and we're still doing <laughs> sure. this and b i'm doing something that i love every day mm-hmm. and that's not something that's you know i mean yes bakers it's like a very mm-hmm. you know they go to culinary school and that's something they want to do but it's not a job that i just sort of expected would ever happen hmm. it's it's something that has, but you had to see it as a viable opportunity you know i I did and I didn't. I think you never really see it as a viable opportunity until it happens. And then you realize, oh, this is tangible. Mm-hmm. I think as someone who moved here from Canada, even, you know, getting onto MTV, you go out and audition for, for the thing, not ever expecting sure. to get it. And then you get it and you say, okay, this is real. And in this case, it was putting the idea together sending it out there and then having someone say, I like it, let's do it. And then you think, okay, this is real. It's not just something I'm, I've read about a thousand times in you know, variety. Mm-hmm. This is actually something that can happen. Hmm. And that I think is, is an amazingly affirmative thing. And, uh, and it can happen and it, it can happen at any point. I mean, my roommate just, um, wrote Independence Day 2 this year. He'd never think that was something that would happen. I think sure. he'd have aspirations and hopes and things, but it's like suddenly the, your stars sort of align and you get connected with the right person, and next thing you know, you're writing you know, a huge summer yeah. blockbuster. Yeah. Um, and I think coming from Canada, where that isn't necessarily at the front of our minds all the time, our thing is let's just be employed first and foremost and like if that's doing something we love great mm-hmm. um and i you know i've worked at a bakery and worked at a video store and worked at all these places thinking like i hope one day i'll be able to show up to work doing you know and do something that i really love hmm. so this job is not lost on me in the slightest in sure. fact it's it's it only continues to be more and more of an indication that you know not to sound completely cliche, but, you know, dreams quite literally can come true. <laughs> That's great. That's really yeah. cool. That's nice to hear. Um, there had to be something, I mean, we talk a lot on the show about growing up and then having something click, the awareness of uh, this thing was created, mm-hmm. this movie, this TV show, this book, whatever it is, and that's something that I want to do. Um I would imagine, you know, having your dad, who has been part of television and film for so long, mm-hmm. that was always there. Did did you have to have the moment of you know the fun, of realization? Yeah. The 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 interesting thing about that is my dad made a conscious choice very early on to not have my family raised in California. Mm-hmm. So we're Torontonians. And that's where we lived. And he would go off for months at a time and do what he did, Mm -hmm. which was his job. And he sort of went away. And for me, growing up, that was always very separate to what my life was and what my day-to-day life was and what my sister and my mom. Like, you know, we had 
our life in Toronto, and he'd be there when he was there, and he mm-hmm. would be away when he was working. But I wasn't actively involved in any way in the process of that. Mm-hmm. And that's why it wasn't necessarily a natural thing or something that I assumed would sort of happen for myself because I wasn't around when he was writing, you know, the the mockumentaries with Chris yeah. Guest. I wasn't. They just sort of happened. And I, <clears throat> I remember watching um, Waiting for Guffman, which premiered at the Toronto Film Festival that, that year. I wasn't at the screening, but I got a copy of it soon after. And thinking, like, wow, how, how did my dad... What the hell? I didn't ever know that that was something he could do hmm. in a way because i only knew what i saw when it came out in in a movie theater or sure. you know whether it was a guest star on tv or you know whatever he was doing at the time right. but the process of writing something like that and having it made and and then the the sort of how well it was received and it it really sort of helped define that genre of mockumentary and then the rest of the movies that happened thereafter he would go off and he would write them and then make them and then they'd come out i only got to see the final product Mm -hmm. interesting so i i yeah but even but it sounds like that watching guffman was that lightning bolt for you yeah it was (laughs) it it was an example of something that someone did that i admired tremendously Mm -hmm. that i knew yeah and it was probably, it you know, yeah. in this therapy session we're having right now, it was probably the first time, I guess, that I felt like something is tangible. Mm-hmm. Something that I've experienced to someone close to me, there is something tangible yeah, there. That's there really is something interesting. that someone I know made that I like hmm. and think is very cool. Did, it, did that change your taste in comedy? Yeah, well, I mean, growing up, it was, you know, uh, the the people that were sort of in my home, it's Marty Short and Catherine and mm-hmm. Andrea Martin and um, all of these amazingly funny people were just around. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get sort of spoiled in a way because they're they're the best. Sure. So I it, I had a hard time with like the gross out sort of you know the broad sort of comedies that particularly in high school that people were really responding yeah. to because I felt like I don't know there's something about this I don't find very funny. <laughs> um, That's funny. So yeah, I mean you get you do get spoiled by the fact that there is a, a quality of comedy around you all the time that is not, that is. That is, you t- I had taken for granted, I guess, for a long time. Sure. Well, you don't think about it when it's part of your well, life. Well, that just right? happens, and yeah. then suddenly you're presented with something that's not as funny, and you definitely know <laughs> what's not as funny. That's really funny. That's, you know, yeah, so it's, it's in that regard, it, it has helped me, I think, as a, someone who's writing comedy to, to have as sort of a standard, mm-hmm. not that I ever hope to surpass, you know, what they've done. It's such a, it's like royalty, but at least it's a master class in in trying to keep up with yeah. that. Oh, I absolutely. think working something with, to aspire to. Working with Catherine and my dad on set even <clears throat> because our scripts are are written in advance. But when we get to the floor, it's a very collaborative effort in terms of performance. So if anyone has a note that they want to sort of play with in the script, that happens. Catherine when she, you know, will do like four or five different takes, and each one of them will be completely different. Um, So to sort of see how 
the, the, the base of the script can be elevated mm-hmm. by just a few simple tweaks in performance or changing a line here or there has, has been like a master class. Oh, of course. It's and been that, insane. That had to be something that, you know, you, you baked in to these scripts. Like, you, you know at a certain point when you're working with great actors that a great actor is going to bring something else to it. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you have Catherine O'Hara at the helm of your television show, you want her to A really love what she's doing. Yeah. And B, you, you it, want right? her to to have fun. And so for us, it really is, you know, presenting her with our scripts and saying, is there anything, tell us what you think. Like, share the magic. And what she's done with that character is so uh, personal and so instinctive <laughs> that watching her sort of take certain lines and change them into what that character would do or certain, you know, in, in one instance, it was a, a storyline um, that sort of, she came to us after reading it and said, well, what if we flipped it on its head and sort of reversed what the story was? <laughs> and instead of, you know, uh, I, I, I'll just talk about it. Yeah. Um, it's in the Is second season. season. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a spoiler, but no one will care. Um, no, we love those now. <laughs> it's, it's all come around. Ultimately, it's it's about something that gets stolen, mm-hmm. and sh- and you know we had written it that someone steals something from her, and it is in a political sense. And she came to us and said, "Well, what if it turns out that I was the person that stole them?" Hmm. And we thought, okay. That's not something that our brains thought of at the time, and yet it is the perfect. It, it's just what right. has to be. Um, so we've been very lucky to have people that are so personally invested in Absolutely. the stories and in the characters and all of that. Yeah. So it's it really has been. It's a it's a very collaborative effort. The show. That's really cool. That's that's great to hear. Um, yeah. What else can we look forward to from season two? Anything you guys as a room are particularly happy about? I just think that what we've <clears throat> we've taken everything that I would hope that people liked about season one and really sort of blew that up in season two. I think there's an ease to the season that obviously comes with a second season of a show. Everything's sort of settled. Mm-hmm. You get you're able to dig a little deeper. But I think for me, it's a, it's it's a, I don't want to say it's substantial because the show's called Shuts Creek. <laughs> But I you felt always like have to have that in the back of your brain, right? Like, like how far can we really go? Too serious about this. <laughs> yeah. But I do feel like at the at the heart of this show, what we had always intended it to be, it's it's a show about love, and it's a show about how the how love presents itself in unexpected ways. <laughs> and what is love? If if it's originally about money and the money's not there, and everyone knew, thought love was money and money made love. What it what would it be without it? And I think the second season is exploring the idea of what love is in a very true and funny and great, you know, That's great. way. That's good. To hear. Um, and and what it means to people who have never really experienced it before. Um, <laughs> and that I think is was our goal for the second season to really make these characters um, even more likable or engaging than they were in the first season. Um, and just show that there is like a lot of love ultimately in this in this family, and it's something that they might not realize, <laughs> or might not have realized, but will by the end of the second season. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fun seeing them 
start to get there too. Even well, in yeah, the they're all season. like aliens with each other. <laughs> right? They've like they don't. It's like it's it's such a broken family <laughs> that they like intimacy in any level comes as a surprise, <laughs> and more often than not, is sort of something that's not very welcome. <laughs> um, so to see the the this family sort of ease into what being open right. and available I mean, to one, what yeah genuine human emotions it's very strange and new for them but they 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 like it a little bit more this season i think it comes a little more naturally good yeah uh we'll wrap up by asking uh what are you watching on television these days what what's getting you excited or inspired what are you talking about with your collaborators your friends etc um I, oh gosh all the british shows on netflix what are all the all of them? I think there's now like a whole chapter of just British <laughs> television. Uh, last season when we were shooting, I basically came home from work and put on Netflix and watched. I watched every season of Nashville. I then watched both seasons of Broadchurch, which is a tremendous. Right. So good. Brit- oh my god! It's well. So that genre. Then Happy Valley. Have you just mm-hmm. seen Happy? Okay. So Happy Valley, Luther, The Fall. I went through all of that. Nashville started it out. It yeah, got me into the next Nashville one of these things is not there. like the other, but it got me into Netflix because I hadn't really like done the Netflix thing in a very real way. That's funny. And uh, and and yeah, and now I've basically watched every British crime drama thanks to why thanks you, to Nashville. Why are you drawn to those? I mean, they're really well made and they're they're really incredibly well I think I'm drawn to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. There's something about how seamless the storytelling is and how thoughtful it all is. Mm. Um, it doesn't feel lazy. And I try to sort of, like, examine what those stories are and how to, in a way, make them work for what we're doing, I think, ultimately. Sure. So in a weird sort you of subconscious way. It's, it's, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to learn as best I can sure, through funny. Luther. <laughs> There are worse places to learn. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Season two premieres March 16th on Pop. And people have that. I hope so. <laughs> I think you can go on pop.com to find out if you actually do have it. Okay. Uh, and so the first season that. is on Amazon. Amazon, iTunes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can find it, I guess. Good. Check like. it out, everyone. Uh, Dan, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Pew, pew, pew.